Welcome back. This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett, waging the all-out struggle for truth and the internet airwaves since 2006 by way of truthjihad.com, where you can subscribe to my substack, kevinbarrett.substack.com, and you'll get early access to these shows, plus other goodies, including sneak previews of my articles for American Free Press, Crescent International, and so on and so forth. All right, let's get into the conversation tonight. Uh, I hear some creaking. And it looks like we have our guest, uh, Ken Meyercourt, who's going to discuss some of those unspeakable topics that got Kanye and Kyrie in big trouble. Uh, so let's see if we can get ourselves into even bigger trouble here. Uh, welcome, uh, Ken Meyercourt. Uh, how are you doing, Kenny? Hello, Ken. I, uh, well... I thought, I thought we had him on here, and let me see if I can find a way to bring him in. I thought we just brought him in, but uh, maybe we didn't. Yeah, we'll get him one way or another. I, I have his picture in front of me, and I think I heard his chair creaking. Hello, Ken, are you there? You know, maybe we better just call his phone. I think we have a, a, a technically challenged situation going on here. So I guess I can just introduce him a little bit. Ken Meyercord has been doing cable access TV broadcasts in the Washington, D.C. for quite some time. And he is uh, well-known at think tank events where he goes and asks hard questions of uh, the people who are giving the presentations. And I think we have him on the line now by way of both Skype and phone. Hey, welcome, Ken. How are you? Fine. So it's okay. Just you better just hang up your Skype because we have you on Skype. We hear you. We hear your chair creaking on Skype. We see your picture, which is useless because this is a radio show. Thank so God. yeah, we'll just do it through the phone. So you can just hang up on the Skype. Um, maybe okay. I can kick you out. I don't know if I can do that. I have, I have a, a, uh, a with a, a computer, computer microphone. microphone. Be any, any better? better? Yeah, it's 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 not working though because you're not hearing us through your computer. We're hearing you. We're hearing your chair creak. We're hearing you talk. We're getting an echo now because you're on both the phone and the Skype. Uh, but I think the best thing to do here would be since you're not able to hear us through your computer, you should just turn off your Skype. Just click on that red hang up button. Yeah, and we will do it on the I, phone. I did. I, did. I, I got, got off Skype. Mm, no, yeah. you're you're still on Skype. I see you. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Have, Have I disappeared, I disappeared yet? yet? Nope. Okay. okay. Uh, let's, uh, let's see. see. Where's, Where's the, the hangout hang button? button? It's the little red button with the uh, telephone icon. Oh, oh I, I got one, one of those. those. Okay. okay. Hit that, and then, uh, there we go. You're good. You're good now. Now we have okay. the, only the audio, and we only have one voice rather than uh, this echo. This whole so- crowd-sounding thing. Okay. Well, I'll turn off my... Uh, my other microphone too so you don't hear my chair creaking yeah yeah we we only need one voice and no creaky chairs we don't need a horror movie thing here with an echo well i don't know that that could be pretty dramatic anyway i still hear the creaking chairs okay well enjoy the creaking yeah so let's get into this uh taboo topic you raise uh, uh, we had a different taboo tra- topic in the first hour. Josh Middledorf was talking about free energy, which 
of course, is allegedly a suppressed topic. The men in black come and get you if you make a free energy device. And then uh, now we're going to talk about another suppressed topic, which is the J word or so-called Jewish power. And that's even more taboo than talking about Zionism and the oppression of the Palestinians. That's bad enough. That'll already get the ADL after you. But if you then start talking about uh, Jewish power and you point out that, you know, all of Biden's advisors are either Jewish or married to Jews. The same is true about all of the presidents of the Ivy League universities. It appears to be true of the admissions directors at the Ivy League universities. And the and provost. That, I didn't even know what a provost was until I started looking into this. But uh, apparently a lot of the provosts at the Ivy League school and provosts are, I forget the definition, but they're in charge of both academics and finance. So uh, that's like the band behind the scenes. Right. Well, I guess I was lucky. I had an Irish provost at the University of Wisconsin-Madison when they were trying to witch hunt me and get me uh, thrown out of the university back in 2006. Oh, so you had personal dealings with the pro- I didn't even know what a provost was. Yeah, I think Patrick was. Farrell, I think, was his name. Uh, his, anyway, uh, yeah, he, he was actually quite fair-minded and reasonable in his way yeah. of, of dealing with, with everything. Um, but in any case, uh, you know, Ron Unz just wrote that piece about uh, discrimination in admissions to Ivy League universities, Asians are obviously discriminated against. Uh, Non-Jewish white people are even more discriminated against, in fact, massively so. And uh, Jewish people are apparently discriminated for. That is, that if you have the the same test scores and the same grades, if you're Jewish, you're considerably more likely to get admitted. If you're white, non-Jewish, you're way less likely to be admitted. If you're Asian, you're considerably less likely to be admitted. And there's a big lawsuit around that right now, led by Asian-Americans. And all of this kind of leads to the topic of are we allowed to talk about Jewish power or is Jewish power the power to keep us from talking about Jewish power, which is what Gila Vatsman says. Uh, so I guess we're allowed to talk about it because here we are. And the men in black haven't showed up yet. Well, they still got a little while. Maybe uh, we surprise <laughs> them. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, they're not as well organized as we uh, fear in our paranoia. Right. Well, they, they were coming after me long before I was even talking about that. This kind of it's just just talking about 9-11 was enough to have various right. you know, Jewish power institutions and individuals come after me, which kind of makes not you just, wonder. Not just Jewish ones either. Yeah. No, it wasn't just, of course. But it was really disproportionate. It was really strange. I just started talking about 9-11 truth and blaming Bush and Cheney, who obviously are not Jewish. And suddenly I had all of these people yelling at me and calling me an anti-Semitic Holocaust denier. I said, wait, I, I just said that was an inside job. The American government did it. It was Bush and Cheney. And they're going, Holocaust denier, Holocaust denier, anti-Semite, anti-Semite. What Amazing. are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know whether I ever related it, uh, my personal experience that got me uh, a reputation as a Holocaust denier here in the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, this was 10 years ago. Um, I was running for member at large of the Reston Community Association or Citizens Association, I think it's called. Anyway, rest is the town in Virginia I live in. Um, and one of the board members uh, knew that it had <laughs> thought I was a Holocaust denier. Okay, and she had pretty good reasons for believing I questioned the official uh, Holocaust story. So she started a campaign against me. The Jewish Telegraph called me up and and. Uh, interviewed me, and <laughs> and uh, it ended up uh, that uh, I made the uh, front page of the Metro Center of the Metro section of the Washington Post, 
uh, with my picture and everything, uh, saying this citizens revolt against this Holocaust denier out there and rested. And people, I think, whoever got all bent out of shape about it thought the Rested Citizens Association was like the town council or something. It wasn't. It was just a an organization of citizens. We were actually arrested as a planned community. It was actually owned by Gulf Oil at the time. <laughs> they were our government, aside from Fairfax County. Well, they're, so, they're I, everybody's I, government. The, the I wasn't even company. a member of this association. I, the only reason I was running is the president had called me up, who I knew vaguely, uh, and she, she was looking for a candidate. She couldn't find anybody to run. So I said, oh, okay, get involved, uh, you know, act locally. Um, What's the line? <laughs> Think globally. Think act globally, globally and act locally. There we go. So anyway, I get and I got interviewed by the local TV news, and and I'm working for my <laughs> half the people I was working for at that time, including my boss and and my closest colleague were Jewish. Um, they didn't get all bent out of shape about it, but a lot of people did. So well, they, probably, they, they knew you, and and you know that that's one of the things is is that you know the the actual person who then gets witch-hunted is, is very different from the image that they construct in the media exactly. when they witch-hunt. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so you had your 15 minutes of fame as a Holocaust denier. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, well, right. Subsequently <laughs> solidified it by talking to people like you. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, I, I had my 15 minutes of fame as a 9-11 truther, but then they, they tried to turn that into being a Holocaust denier, too, and I had no idea why they were saying that, and pretty soon I decided to research that topic, and then I discovered that like, people like people like you might have a point. Yeah, it's like racist or fascist or whatever. It's just a term that gets tossed around when you want to really uh, uh, just, uh, smear somebody. Anyway, uh, speaking of being smeared, how about did you? You're aware of uh, David Dave Chappelle's monologue at SNL? Oh, that, yeah, I saw that. That was great. Yeah, it, actually, uh, my I just did a, an image uh, for our False Flag Weekly News broadcast tomorrow that uh, has uh, Dave Chappelle up on Mount Rushmore, um, along with uh, with other uh, truth telling comedians like uh, let's see, what, who, who do we have there? Like Bill, Bill Hicks and. Uh, uh, anyway, so the 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 uh, legend for that show is if you tell the truth, make it funny, or they'll kill you, and that's pretty much what Dave Chappelle just did. Have you seen the mo- the actual monologue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it was great. He really walked a fine line, didn't he? Well, I I thought it was completely um, innocuous. Yeah, the only yeah, yeah. Thing he well, said. Um, was that he has worked in uh, Hollywood, and yeah, there are lots of Jews out there. But then he just immediately discredited the notion that because there are lots of Jews, they control Hollywood by relating it to Ferguson, Missouri, saying there are lots of blacks in Ferguson, Missouri, but they don't control Ferguson. Well, yeah, but that, I, I think that you're you're mistaking you know the the surface for the for the real message here. Because obviously what? there's a What's huge the – well, because the contrast is that obviously the blacks don't run Ferguson, but obviously the Jews do run Hollywood. Everybody knows this. And so he Dave Chappelle – He didn't say that. Well, no, he but he that. didn't have to. Sometimes, and everybody doesn't know it. <laughs> well, I don't think so. I mean, I, I, I see, I, I'm pretty sure that Dave Chappelle uh, would find that – really obvious and that's really part of his message is that basically well, but saying, he didn't say it maybe powerless. we can read his mind if we want but yeah. but he didn't say it 
it was really nothing uh, anti-Semitic in what he had to say, other than the fact that whenever you start to talk about the Jews, you're treading on, on thin ice, whether you can compliment them and be labeled uh, anti-Semitic just about. Uh, well, you can. Uh, and I didn't. And then he goes on, to, he finishes the monologue with praising the Ukrainians and and, and suggesting that, uh, affirming the, the fact that Trump was colluding with the Russians. I guess he hadn't heard. I see. I, I didn't read any of it that way. I, I see. I maybe well, I need we to must have seen two yeah. different monologues then. Yeah, I, I see. I saw that whole monologue as a kind of a masterpiece of insinuation, in which he was speaking kind of duplicitously. You know, at two levels. At one level, it's like, oh well, you know, I have to say this because you guys own everything and will destroy me if I say anything different. So that's so I'm just saying what everybody has to say. I'm saying that, yeah, just because there are a lot of Jews in Hollywood, it's like Ferguson, a lot of blacks in Ferguson and uh, and Ukraine, blah, blah, blah. But all of all of that was like he was underlining the fact that you guys are con- you know controlling what I say and I don't like it. <laughs> well, yeah, that I, was I the, think the we, takeaway. Well, I think uh, we both probably ought to talk to some people who don't uh, share our uh, assumption that the Jews do control Hollywood to see if they read it that way. Um, you know, some of the mm-hmm. some but, Jews well, have said, no, there wasn't anything anti-Semitic about what he said. Right, but they, like they know Jews. I mean, Jews know better than anybody that Jews control Hollywood, don't they? I know they do, but they said he didn't say that. Right. Well, yeah, he didn't say they, you know, control or or what have you. But, yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't think, though, that you could really do a fair understanding of his routine by, for instance, you know, taking a kind of an average mainstream person's understanding of it you know because it's it's sort of like a lot of he was talking to the he was preaching to the choir no no i i I think no average americans think that that uh that watches snl well okay well well, uh, the average american you know does not He's never even thought about who controls Hollywood. Right. Well, when when Jonathan Swift happened. when Jonathan uh-huh. Swift wrote wrote a, a modest proposal and suggested uh, solving the hunger problem by eating the Irish babies, right. he right. knew that a lot of people actually believed that he was really saying that. They took him seriously, and that, of course, is you know when Edgar Allan Poe wrote the balloon hoax. Uh, claiming that a, 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 the first balloon flight across the Atlantic had occurred, uh, he knew very I've never well. Never heard of that one. Is that yeah, right? Yeah. Was yeah, that no, a short he, story or what? No, yeah, it was. Well, it's it's sort of a short story that was published in uh, a newspaper or magazine in such a way that it looked like it might be true. Um, but there there's this whole history of playing with. Uh, writing in especially you know actually Leo Strauss of all people has gone into this in his discussion of uh, the you know, secrecy secret writing and and you know and he taught the neocons to write at two different levels for different audiences they write for the the rubes the unsophisticated the goyim at one level and then they write at the sophisticated level for the people who know what's going on at the other level and of course the Rebecca Wolstetter's book Pearl Harbor Day of Decision. Uh, or to say something in decision, whatever it was, that that book 
uh, reads at two levels. On one level, it's a heroic story of how the evil Japanese perfidiously launched a horrific surprise attack at Pearl Harbor. But between the lines, you can understand that she's actually saying, yeah, it was all, you know, Roosevelt knew it was coming and it was the right thing to do to, you know, make, make that happen to get us into the war. And this is, uh, but, but that's, it's far from only the neocons who, who do this, you know, but, but I think that Leo Strauss actually, if we could, if we had him with us today would say that Dave Chappelle is doing that kind of discourse because it's all the people who've operated in times and places where telling the truth could get you killed, uh, learned how to write in ways that uh, the people who are on their wavelength could understand, but the masses wouldn't understand it. And the censors either wouldn't understand it or wouldn't care because the masses didn't understand it. And I think that is indeed what was going on with Chappelle's monologue. Yeah, I beg to differ. Uh, but in any case, me, I got a, a story, that, another story that I think uh, will be apropos and, and maybe uh, interesting. Um, I'm a big fan of Jeopardy, the TV quiz show. And I wrote a, a post about this, so you may be all familiar with the story already, but maybe your listeners aren't. Um, you know, Alex Trebek, the longtime host, died about a year ago. And so they had to pick a successor. And to do that, they decided they would have various people, celebrities and whatnot, um, host the show for two weeks and then have a dozen of these people. And somehow out of that process, would they determine uh, who would be the next host of Jeopardy. And they started with a guy named Ken Jennings, who was the Jeopardy goat, G-O-A-T standing for greatest of all time. He was the top winner long uh, in jeopardy and a very personable guy you know and competent and everything uh so he did it for two weeks then a, a guy named mike R- michael richards who was executive producer of jeopardy had never been a contestant or anything and had only been with jeopardy about a year he hosted for two weeks and i thought they both did a competent job uh, but I, i'm you know surfing the internet and i'm seeing uh, several uh, postings saying, oh, Jennings blew it, and, and oh, my God, Richards was fantastic. They should stop right now and just make him the host. And I thought that was a little weird because I thought they both had done a, uh, a very good job. There wasn't much on the basis, on the surface, to distinguish one from the other. So I got to thinking that maybe, um, as I put it in my posting, um, the Jewish media moguls were engaging in cliquish machinations to get a Jew to succeed Alex Trebek. Uh, and uh, they, for the next six months, they had, you know, a bunch of people, Anderson Cooper, uh, Aaron Rodgers, the Craig Green Bay quarterback, uh, who I thought, I thought he did a great job. I was all for him. And at that time I thought he was Jewish. He's not. Uh, but anyway, so six months later, they finally decide uh, to appoint not one, but two Jews as co-hosts of Jeopardy. And I thought, my God, wow, that was the most prescient I've ever been in my life. Well, in college, I had a uh, Jewish roommate, a Long Island Jew, meeting when he was in high school, he went off to Israel to go butts for the summer. Um, but he also, his family also put up a Christmas tree. 
at Christmas. And I never saw him observe any high holidays uh, the two years that I roomed with him. Anyway, so, uh, you know, we, we correspond occasionally. And when I talked about the cliquish machinations of Jewish media moguls, he said, please take me off your distribution list. And the incredible thing is I had established my reputation as a Holocaust denier through various writings, and he never complained about that. But to to suggest that Jews are cliquish, which, you know, is not an original idea with me, uh, pissed him off too much. Mm, That's interesting. Well, maybe... Uh, maybe that is cutting too close to the bone because if you really you know, look at the issues around you know the so-called Jewish question and so on, I mean, what what is it that the so-called anti-Semites uh, are saying and thinking that's really so threatening and so on? You know, ultimately, you know, and, and from the other side of the coin, what, what's what's the problem? with, uh, you know, with Jewish power, you know, the fact that Jews are disproportionately represented in these certain areas. And ultimately, you know, the only real answers to those questions are first, you know, distorting American foreign policy to favor Israel in the Middle East. And that, of course, is a very serious issue. It led to 9-11 and the 9-11 wars, among other things. But then the other issue is this issue of ethnic nepotism and potential Jewish overrepresentation in these uh, fields of power, whether it's in the media uh, or in finance or in Ivy League university admissions, that may grow out of ethnic nepotism. And but if a quick aside related to both this question of admissions to, to uh, elitist schools and uh, and one and cliquishness, uh, my roommate had three kids, uh, a daughter and two sons. The daughter went to Harvard. The son went to one Dartmouth. One uh, son went to Dartmouth, my, my alma mater, and one went to Stanford. And that was at a time when, like, a quarter of the entering class at Harvard was rich Jews. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know the kids that well to to know whether they uh, enjoyed some special uh, advantage or not. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's just yeah, well, well, actually, I, I, I was never really uh, I, I didn't come down on either side of this debate about whether the disproportionate number of Jews in places like uh, media and finance and, and Ivy League universities is purely due to merit, intrinsic merit, or whether it's due to nepotism. I never saw strong evidence that it was nepotism, although it certainly made sense. And. Uh, there have been people who've made that argument that sounded extremely credible, like Philip Weiss uh, wrote an article, Do We Jews Control Media and So What If We Do?, in which he talked about how he just felt more comfortable with his fellow Jews throughout his time in mainstream media, and he figured that about half of his major colleagues and bosses had been Jewish, and that naturally if a Jewish person in media has a choice between hiring a fellow Jew and a non-Jew, they're probably going to feel more comfortable with the Jew, and they're going to hire him. And so he basically described how this ethnic nepotism would work, and he was implying that that was the main reason that Jews are so ridiculously disproportionately dominant in mainstream media. But I, I still didn't really see hard evidence. But the first hard evidence I've ever seen of this is in Ron Unz's relatively new article. I think it's is it his latest one on the Harvard admissions issue, the, the Ivy League uh, Asian uh, issue around discrimination. And in that, the second half of that article 
gets into the quantitative analysis of admissions at Ivy League universities, and it becomes obvious that at least you know, he's, he's making a very strong case that Jews are wildly overrepresented in the Ivy League in relation to their grades and test scores. So it has to be ethnic nepotism. So there's some evidence. And is this a problem? Of course it is. If you're from any other ethnic group, you're losing out because of this cliqueishness and nepotism. And so we should be able to talk about it. And of course, the real reason why the ADL probably doesn't want us to talk about it isn't so much that they're afraid that we're going to uh, you know, have pogroms or throw the Jews in the sea or anything like that, but because we might take steps that would neutralize this nepotism, which is giving Jews this massive unfair advantage in the competition for desirable places in our society. Right. Well, it's, it's, it is a mystery or it's, uh, what other, you know, the, the, uh, sort of, uh, uh, usual explanation for the disproportionate representation of Jews at Harvard or in Hollywood or whatever, uh, among that from Gentiles. I, in fact, I was having this discussion just, uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, with a lady who's just typical, she's bright and well-educated, but she attributed the disproportionate Jews of these high levels to, uh, well, they're, they're, uh, they work real hard and they're, uh, ambitious and this and that. And, and it's borderline, you know, they're smarter than the rest of us. Um, and that's what, how, what, what's the other explanation? Nepotism. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we Ivy Leaguers are accused of that, right? We—that's an editorial. We, I guess, yeah. Um, that you know that we run some old boys network, and there's a truth in that. Uh, but um, <laughs> it's pretty, right, right. Well, it's obviously not it's pretty just open, Jew- and uh, not yeah. very. There are too many of us to, to right, really, right. Uh, Jews, Jews didn't admire. invent ethnic nepotism. Obviously, they haven't monopolized it, but they may have perfected it. Well, they've got three thousand years of uh, practicing it. Uh, I mean, if you uh, the, if you read their holy books, uh, it's a manual on cliquishness, you know, chosen people and all that. Talk about a supremacist ideology. Where, are you still there? Yeah, 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 of course. Oh, I heard a click. I was afraid <laughs> you'd hung up on me. That wasn't anyway, me. That was you know, we're all worried else. about white supremacists. And they, they're getting a bad rap now, but hell, they don't think they were chosen by God. Pretty close, but not quite that uh, supremacist. Uh, so yeah, they, and this is the Jewish question, uh, which is not a, a derogatory Gentile thing. That's what the Jews called it too, as, as they came out of the ghettos with the, the liberations of the 18th and 19th century. There still remained a question: Are <laughs> do they want to be part of the larger society? Do they uh, uh, want to uh, uh, assimilate? That was big concern of a lot of Jewish leaders that especially in America, you know, we we've got such an open society and we don't we don't really judge people on their religion or ethnicity or whatever. Um or <laughs> I it's, it's coming from the uh the dominant uh, ethnic groups uh, as I do, maybe that's a, a John uh, jaded uh, view of uh the reality if I was Italian or, or Jewish or black or something like that, I might not think that we're so open-minded here, but anyway, well, that's, that's no, right. I, 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 think history. There, I think there's some truth to that notion that this particular society is pretty open-minded and 
relatively you know not conscious of the sort of ethnic yeah. struggle right but but yeah. but see that's it's interesting that it seems that Jews did play a disproportionate role in pushing this kind of liberal individualism that did uh, help them win assimilation into the larger society. So when there's less consciousness of people's ethnicity and, and the people are not conscious of being part of an ethnic group, which is practicing nepotism and is trying to take care of their own people and not worrying so much about the other groups. Uh, so there's competition between different ethnic groups and people identify as members of a particular group and they're seeking advantage based on their membership in that group. Uh, that mentality got broken down with liberal individualism and a lot of the other groups have kind of lost their ethnic nepotism mojo. Like I'm an Irish American and I can't really get a whole lot of benefit from being Irish American in terms of my uh, career activities. You know, maybe E. Michael Jones comes on my radio show more often than if I were not an Irish Muslim. I don't know, but I'm not really getting much out of that. Uh, but, uh, uh, somebody like Gilad Atzman, because he's Jewish, can go from Israel to the UK, emigrate to London as a young man. He has really, you know, no uh, marketable skill. And he described to me how this worked. He, he got to London. He plugs into the Jewish network in London and he's quickly handed a plum job uh, with a little company that uh, basically is exploiting differences in real real estate values versus ascribed values or, or uh, registered values. And I'm not sure if this involves getting people kicked out of their houses so you can sell their houses at a higher price. I wouldn't be surprised if it did. Uh, but anyway, Gilad gets involved in this Jewish real estate thing and he's got, you know, he's making really good money almost instantly from the moment he lands in London. And he says, yeah, I was I plugged into the Jewish ethnic nepotism network there. And then he says he, after a while he couldn't stand it, so he quit. And uh, he's been earning an honest living as a musician and a truth teller ever since. But that's just one example of how uh, Jews still have that group consciousness. And right. they do still work together and practice yeah. ethnic nepotism very efficiently and very effectively. And other groups don't. The Irish Americans don't. The Italians don't. The Germans don't. The Welsh don't. The, you know, the, 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 none of them. Scandahoovians here in Wisconsin. Nobody is practicing ethnic nepotism to take over the media, to take over finance, to take over the Biden administration, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, take over the Ivy League. No, it's it's Jews. So so maybe, you know, I, a lot of people argue that Jews knew this, that they knew that by pushing liberal individualism on the larger society, they could break down all of the other forms of group consciousness so that nobody else would be practicing this kind of ethnic nepotism or other forms of group uh, survival strategies. And they would be the last group standing and they would just grab everything up and uh, and do really, really, really well. Um, and, you know, I, that looks like it did sort of happen that way, doesn't, didn't it? Uh, yeah, though, I, one of the things that uh, Chappelle said that, that uh, I thought was particularly poignant, though apparently he meant it in a different way than I did, uh, as you re may remember, he said there are two words that should never be <laughs> juxtaposed in the English language. And the words are the and Jews. 
uh, and he, I think he was, he, he, I, you would interpret that uh, the way that I think he meant it, uh, that, you know, oh, you just don't touch the Jews as a subject, don't, don't bring it up. But I was hoping he meant, if you're going to accuse, and that's a pretty strong word, that's stronger than I mean it to be, uh, the Jews of some sort of nefarious activities, you have to distinguish between, you can't generalize about the Jews. Uh, you have to, they're, they're very well maybe, you know, the Jews, the, the elders of Zion may have a, uh, a little uh, game going, but uh, if that's 1% of the Jews in America, that's 60,000 people, that's a lot of people to, to conspire. Um, but it's only 1% of the Jews, and most of the Jews are just living their lives, you know, with their neighbors and, and are not benefiting from any uh, cliquishness, uh, really, not in a big way. Uh, and, and they have no more control or influence with their leaders than we do with ours. Look at, look at foreign policy. Do you, do you want to be associated with our foreign policy? Uh, and yet we are. Um, and uh, unfortunately, that, that's, that's why I wish, uh, I wish the Jews would uh, take bigger interest in what is happening at the at the upper levels of uh, Judaism um, that results in these disproportionate things and and whatnot. Um, yeah. Anyway, because it's yeah. it's you know there most of the Jews are, should not be tarnished with this this brush that we're suggesting that. Uh, uh, the the upper echelons should be, uh, and yet you know, history is the history of collective punishment, um, all the way back to the Bible when, when you know God wipes out every man, woman, and children in Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, except for one family. Uh, there must have been some innocents there who got who weren't engaged in uh, <laughs> uh, what's the word not uh, not in obscene behavior. Mm. Sodomy? Or behavior. Wicked, wicked behavior. Why, why anyway, sodomy? The word sodomy? But, you know, we, no... we locked up all the Japanese-Americans. We didn't ask them whether they uh, uh, supported Japan or not. Uh, we wouldn't have believed about whatever they told us. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, to look at the Holocaust, most Jews were, what the hell's going Why are they doing this to us? Because uh, they, they themselves were innocent of, of the charges that are kind of through history have been labeled against the Jews, the international Jew, the, uh, the money lenders, the this and that. Um, but so I, I try and, but it's, I, I, you know, like I say, collective punishment is a fact of human nature and, and that's why it, it scares me. Um, uh, what, what could happen if, if, you know, I don't think we live, do we live at the end of history? Has persecution of the Jews come to an end? I don't think so. A lot of people thought they lived at the end of history, and they've all been wrong so far. And so we better understand. We better talk it out, just like John, John Stewart and and Seinfeld and whatnot. Everybody's saying, "Oh, you got to talk about these things." That they never bother to talk about it with anybody except someone who agrees with them. Mm, yeah, uh, that's true. They're not going to have you and me on their show anytime soon. No, no. I actually, I I wanted to email John Stewart. Did you see his thing on uh, Colbert? Where he's, yeah, where yeah, he's, no, he's he's, he's relatively reasonable. Yeah, he's pretty reasonable, actually. Well, but uh, so I I wanted I couldn't find his email, so I just commented on on the you know the article about that 
interview and said, John, would you be willing to put your uh, idea into action and actually uh, debate publicly with somebody who has an opposing view considering uh, Jewish control of Hollywood or whatever? And uh, <laughs> I'll wait and see whether whether I ever uh, hear of an actual debate like that. I had a, a public access TV show a couple of years back called Civil Discord. And the idea was to get two people from who had posing views and me as the moderator uh, to talk about controversial issues, 9-11 or, or, or the Holocaust or uh, climate change, all, all this stuff, the, the uh, you know, controversial issues. Um, we didn't get into abortion. But I had a hell of a time finding... I only did eight episodes of the show uh, because I couldn't find people who were willing to sit down and debate something with uh, someone with an opposing view. Well, wait so a minute. Was to... it, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute, Ken. Was it was it like were there any pro nine eleven truth people who didn't want to debate it? Were there any uh, pro Holocaust revisionists who didn't want to debate it, etc.? No, no, it no, always no, no, no. That's what. Well, n- no, but I, I no, it's uh, one side or the other didn't want to debate it. And, and you're wait, right. Isn't, isn't it almost always the mainstream that doesn't want to debate? Oh, sure. Well, let's see. Uh, yeah, they may be legitimate sometimes, like uh, on a subject uh, dear to your heart and, and some of my associates. I would not sit down and debate, uh, waste my time debating with somebody who thinks uh, it wasn't airplanes that hit the Twin Towers, for instance. So you, you're not going to sit down and debate with a flat earth person. You're not going to sit down and debate with, you know, someone that... You just think it's a waste of time, um, but that's well. That's, the airplanes. That, that's not. I, I, I'm I not have, saying that's I what happened. Debated, I have debated airplanes, uh, and actually, I know I've you even, have. I've, I've even debated flat Earth, although not so much on the show. But I have an uncle who's a flat Earther, so I actually did get to get into that issue a while back. Uh huh. <laughs> well, maybe I should give it a chance. I've never. Well, no, it's, uh, it's 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 incredibly stupid. But what's interesting is the amazing amount of money and special effects and, and, you know, so so much money has been spent to make flashy high production values films uh, supporting this idiotic flat earth theory. Is that right? I've never seen any of those. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. They spend more money on five minutes of that than the entire nine 11 truth movement has spent on 20 years. Nine 11 truth films. Is that right? Well, how do you, how do you interpret that? Why are it's got Cass, Cass Sunstein's cognitive infiltration. They want it. They want people who are questioning 9/11 to start having to deal with flat Earth. You know that that's they, they and they want the mainstream people to think of 9/11 truthers as equivalent to flat Earthers. Well, so yeah, they, that's they why I the flat Earth movement. There would be no flat Earth movement if it weren't for Cass Sunstein. Oh well, wait to say the flat Earth movement start. Well, maybe not the flat Earth idea. I wouldn't. Don't know what. Maybe it was just very limited. But it's been around for quite a while. Uh, for it's extremely marginal human history. It's been extremely, uh, very, very marginalized. Hardly anybody even right. bothered with it until huh. right around 2010, right when Cass Sunstein's ideas were presumably being employed because he wrote his book in what 2008. Well, you know what? Uh, when I uh, get a chance to speak to people uh, who don't subscribe to our notion of uh, 9-11 being an inside job, the first thing they say, you know, they just believe the official story pretty much. Um, they they uh, immediately say, oh my God, there are people out there who, who think it wasn't even airplanes that hit the Twin Towers. That's that's their equivalent of flat Earth. And that's, a you know, like I said, I get that all the time. 
And I agree with him. That's a ridiculous idea. It discredits the whole movement. Um, uh, so what's the point there? I don't know. I agree with you. That could be cognitive infiltration, too, of course. What? What do you mean? The, the, that is the it's it's quite possible that Cass Sunstein's cognitive infiltration squad would want the 9-11 truth movement to be fighting about whether or not planes hit the towers. Because that, again, oh, that, sure. that makes... Well, yeah, if someone's going to postulate that, like I say, I, I, <laughs> I'm not going to debate it. I've, I've seen the evidence. on my. I had a show before Civil Discord where I showed documentaries on international affairs. I showed three or four of the 9-11 Truther movies, Stephen Jones and uh, uh, Judy Woods, uh, the... the you know, the big one, what is it, the something against engineers and somebody against... Anyway, you know the one I'm talking about. I forgot the guy's name there. That's heads up. Gage. Gage is one of the Gage heads up. And I didn't find them convincing at all. Uh, and especially the idea... <laughs> I'll, I'll debate on whether there were... Or would I? I'm not sure I'd even debate whether it was a planned demolition. Or well, well, let's go back and let's go back and debate the Dave Chappelle monologue. You, you mentioned that Dave Chappelle uh, said there are two words that you should never put together in the English language: the that Jews. is the, the and Jews. Jews. Right now, that is a good illustration of my argument that uh, Dave Chappelle was speaking in an ambivalent sort of bi or bivalent or or uh, you know two sided kind of discourse because uh, on one level as you said the fact you know this notion that you shouldn't say those two words together the jews is legitimate because there's this history of anti-semitism and jews have been persecuted and all the jews have been lumped together uh, blamed for the sins of the rothschilds and things like that so at one level when J when when uh, dave Chappelle says yeah, i learned way back that these are two words you shouldn't ever string together the jews at one level that is seems kind of legitimate but at i think the more fundamental level the what he's really saying is I learned this because they have the power and they don't want you to say certain things and they are going to ruin your career if you say certain things. So basically that his his joke there is it's it's a double edged statement that he's making. And one side, one blade of the sword is cutting in one direction that, yeah, it's legitimate that people shouldn't say the Jews. The other blade of the sword is is cutting in the other direction. That is the reason you can't talk about the Jews is because the Jews own everything, run everything, and are fanatical, vicious, vengeful people who will destroy you if you even talk about the things they don't want you to talk about. And and so that's a classic example. I think if you go through and you look at that, you watch that a couple more times, keeping this in mind, Ken, I think you'll understand that Dave Chappelle was was doing this uh, a double-edged dance of uh, ambivalence in his humor and his Jewish critics got that. The ones who didn't like it and called it anti-Semitic were right because he is a black man telling the truth that black people have no power. Black, or, you know, black, black people are marginalized, impoverished, and deprived of power and voice and agency. Jewish people are on the top of the power pyramid, crushing anybody who questions them or who even points out that they're sitting on the top of the power pyramid. That's just the obvious truth, and he's saying it in a sort of deniable, double-edged way. And that's why it was so funny and so threatening. 
I don't know that it was that funny, but I, I basically agree. With, I'm on your it. side on this one. I'm on you your side. On, I don't. I don't think he meant at all what I, the way I interpreted it was that was the way you first talked about that we shouldn't do collective punishment. Because you missed the joke, Ken. You you missed the joke. You didn't get it. It's like somebody who doesn't get a joke. You didn't get the joke. Well, Go back and uh, watch it again. You'll have to tell me what the joke is. <laughs> I just <laughs> if did. Just, if he's well, that's not very funny. <laughs> Uh, I, but I, I, I basically agree with you that he was saying you can't talk about the Jews. That's a taboo subject. No matter what you're saying, that's a taboo subject. I don't, I don't. You extend it on to oh, they'll they'll uh, take retribution on you and ruin your career. Blah blah blah. That's all that stuff. Uh, but he, no, he, he, he said that. that but, sure, he, that's basically but, what that's what he was implying throughout the entire monologue. And and well, yeah, well, I mean. He did use Kanye West as a good example yeah, of, of a guy who paid the price for. Uh, but you know, Kanye West said a little more than just the Jews. To go DefCon on the on the Jews, that's DefCon three or whatever it was, uh, is a little bit more beyond saying just oh, the Jews control Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, that, well, exactly. Exactly. I mean, again, this this was a, this was double edged humor, and it was kind of cut, well, going back and forth, walking that fine line, you know, cutting in one direction, cutting in the other direction, and it was great. I mean, again, a masterpiece of ambivalence and insinuation. Uh, a shout out to Dave Chappelle. <laughs> great okay. stuff. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll just. I'll beg to differ on that one. Okay. Well, so getting back to this issue of of ethnic nepotism. You know, there's lots of ethnic nepotism still around in today's world. Talk to people in Malaysia about the Chinese diaspora. You know, talk to people in Indonesia about the Chinese diaspora. You know, they say that Chinese are the Jews of Asia. And what they mean is that uh, Chinese diasporans have entered these societies and through a combination of, you know, hard work and shrewdness and ethnic nepotism have taken over a lot of uh, prime places in the society. And uh, so that is a real problem for Indonesians and for Malaysians. And sometimes there are these riots and pogroms, the same kinds of things that happened to Jews in history. So uh, you know, I, I think that if, if we have this kind of rational discussion about ethnic nepotism and admit that what Jews are doing in the West and especially in the United States is in some ways comparable to what diaspora Chinese are doing in Southeast Asia, uh, particularly Malaysia and Indonesia, uh, that might be a way to approach the topic in, in a way that isn't, you know, considered so anti-Semitic because it's totally focusing on Jews. No, we're talking about ethnic nepotism in general here. And we're noticing that there is one variety that's like really prominent, sort of the elephant in the living room in American society. So, I don't know, do you think that would work to make the topic a little bit less threatening and something we could talk about? Probably not. <laughs> I think Chabelle <laughs> is, is right. You, you just don't want to je juxtapose the words the uh, and Jews in any context. No matter well, you what talk you talk about the Chinese in Malaysia, you can talk about the Chinese in Indonesia, so why can't you talk about the well, Jews you know, in America? You know, I thought I'd heard that phrase, ethnic nepotism, gotten that phrase from a Jew, from some writing about a Jew. But I did a little research, uh, and it turns out, I think it was coined with regard to tribes in Africa. Some academicians did a study, and, and we're finding ethnic nepotism amongst these different tribes, which, yes, it's a part of human nature. Uh, starts with the family. Um, after all, that's that's what the technical definition of nepotism relates to, I think. Um, 
Yeah, <laughs> but the, the it's curious that you t- you're talking about the Chinese because uh, apparently, um, and I can't verify this myself since I don't speak or read Chinese, but the the view of the Chinese people in China of Jews in America would be considered anti-Semitic. <laughs> Oh, yeah, they, 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 they think the Jews run general, everything. You know, they just, yeah. What? They Go think ahead. the Jews run everything in America. Yeah. And they have no history of anti-Semitism. Where did they get that idea? Because they it's look true. Because society. <laughs> that's, where, that's where they got that idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but we, we can't act. Are we allowed to laugh about that? Um, that's what kind uh, of probably not. No, no. We just, we just uh, wrote our death sentence right there, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. I, yeah, I, that's true. I, well, I, the, I the tend Chinese, to be a little... Chinese think they're complimenting Jews when they say, oh, the Jews run everything in America, and so here's how you can learn their business secrets so we can do it too. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, did you, I did that in that, my, that little thing I sent you that caused you to, to call me about the show where I said the, you know, the commentary in that site, Jew or not Jew, have you have you looked at that? Mark? Yeah, yeah. I, I first encountered that site a long time ago, and it's obviously it's done by Jews who are just trying to figure out whether these other people are Jews. Well, that's I didn't know that until I had my revelation. But I agree with you now. Something we agree on. But I did say the commentaries on those on you know they they have their way of judging whether a certain person is a Jew or not. The commentaries that to just, that they describe the process by which they went by and what their final determination was is so clever and witty i said it must have been must have been written by a jew that's an anti-semitic <laughs> stereotype that's a compliment guys <laughs> <laughs> not by I, jews not jew <laughs> are you are you saying that jews totally dominate the fields of, of wit of clever and wit well they're i really like seinfeld <laughs> And curb your enthusiasm. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, I think they I, like I the like Irish. Like the Irish. He, yeah. They have a wonderful sense of humor. Yeah, that's right. And less of an alcohol problem. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, I just said something anti-Hibernian. Yeah, the uh, Hibernian Defense League is going to come after me now, I'm afraid. Well, it, it is. Yeah, I mean, it, that is kind of funny that, you, you know, I can sit here and, and make anti-Irish jokes. Uh, I am somewhat Irish myself, and uh, and nobody would, is, yeah, there's nobody who would ever come after me, no matter what I said about the Irish, but even just say anything about Jews, and whoa, you know, you'll yeah. never work well, that's, yeah. that's what I that's what I think, uh, uh, what the Chappelle meant, no, it, was, it wasn't quite as uh, big a deal as, as you make it out to be, I just, you look, you, everybody <laughs> Juxtaposed as Jews ends up getting in trouble and having their career ruined and stuff like that. Uh, speaking of the Irish, I want to mention that uh, I was in Boston at a, a youth hostel actually uh, a couple of weeks ago, and the man behind the desk was Irish, real Irish, you know. And uh, I was saying it's amazing. Uh, well, you can't. You know, Dartmouth used to our best guy used to be the Indian, and that had to go away in the early seventies. Uh, but that brought up the. Uh, the idea of mascots. I said, I'm amazed that Notre Dame could get away with the fighting Irish. It's, it makes, you know, the Irish out to be drunken brawlers. And he said, we're proud of that. <laughs> this was <laughs> an there's, Irish guy. There's, there's, there's a bit that. of truth to that stereotype, you know? Yeah, yeah we don't mind that. <laughs> so we're proud of it. Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's Actually, you know, a lot of people seem to think that 
back in the pre-civil rights era and the, you know the pre-demonization uh, of anti-Semitism era, you know, back in the 1930s, for example, that it was all so terrible and racist and everything. But you know, people could sort of laugh about these things, and I think they were maybe a little bit less neurotic and a little bit more accurate in their understanding of a lot of these things than we are today. You know, we've tied ourselves up in knots to be politically correct, and we've we don't allow ourselves to think certain kinds of thoughts and these, you know, there's a grain of truth in an awful lot of ethnic stereotypes, but we can't admit that anymore. Yeah. They have to come from somewhere. Unless we're Irish. If we're Irish, <laughs> we're proud of it. <laughs> well, along that line, again, I, I, as I sort of get off on a tangent here, but I think this is in, uh, illustrative of what you were just saying. Um, like I say, Dartmouth uh, was founded as a school to teach Indians. That's why we the Indians were our mascot and whatnot. And there, for decades, a hundred years, the weather vane on the on the school library depicted an, uh, a colonial settler, European settler type, sitting on a barrel, and in front of him is a an Indian uh, squatting on the ground. Uh, uh, and they took that weather vane down a couple of months ago. And I had the chance, uh, the president of the school happened to be at an event here in D.C., and I asked him, what, what's the obje- what was the objection to the weather vane? He said, oh, well, it was a scene depicted. The Indian is bowing. He's not bowing. <laughs> you can see this depiction. It's not bowing at all. And, oh, the Indian had, had feathers in his hair. Well, yeah, what's wrong with that? Uh, anyway, the... the it was it was pathetic uh, uh, his objection to it, and it occurred to me that to to, the, to believe that sitting on the ground like Indians did and having feathers in their hair like Indians did to consider that the meaning is really racist. <laughs> Not that the picture of an Indian sitting on the ground in front of a uh, European sitting on a barrel. Yeah, anyway. I, I agree. It's it reminds me a little bit of the way that the uh, feminism has sort of recast the relations between the sexes in such oh a way that, you know, to make the female, traditional female roles uh, of, you know, wife and mother and so on seem bad. The, and, and, and likewise, the uh, Native American culture may have internalized the values of white culture so much that now they, they hate uh, squatting on the ground and having feathers in their hair in the same way that women hate being wives and mothers because they've internalized the values of masculine culture. And so the women think that to be uh, good, strong, powerful people, that they should all dress in shoulder pads and go out and compete in the workforce. And be assertive. Uh, and yeah, and, and, and the Native Americans think that they have be to wear white people's clothing and uh, do white people's activities, and that's well, that's certainly that you know, and that's that's true. Yeah, look at the effect of Western society on on the whole world or, or European society, though, with the clothes and whatnot. Exactly, the they got adopted by people all over. But the irony is, uh, Dartmouth Dartmouth <laughs> very quickly in its first decade. Stopped teaching Indians and, and was just a school for rich white kids. And we didn't you have know, any... Ken, I'm sorry, you're, you're drowned out by the bumper music, so we're going to have to close off the show because we did hit the end of the show. Okay, hour. okay, so for next time. Always good time with you. Yeah, keep, keep on truth telling folks. All right, you too. Take care. Good talk. Bye bye. Thank you for listening. Kevin Barrett here. Back next week. See you then.